the world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layered timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the updates for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagicdesign.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode is part three of our interview with Kelly Dixon. And if you're a fan of Breaking Bad, we've been talking about Breaking Bad, but if you're a fan of Breaking Bad, you also have to check out uh, Kelly Dixon's podcast, which is the Breaking Bad Insider. Uh, and what's great about this podcast is that she sits down with everyone from writers to the other editors to the actors and just discusses the the whole creation of this amazing show. So if you're a fan of Breaking Bad or just television in general, definitely check out this podcast. Uh, so you can go to iTunes, search for Breaking Bad Insider, and I'm sure you'll you'll find it. It's pretty highly rated. So with that said, this episode we're going to tackle some more editing issues within Breaking Bad. Uh, one that I thought was really interesting in this episode was cutting a particular scene in which it had to follow exactly two minutes and so she talks about how she cut it to a particular watch within the scene with that said i'm going to let you get into this episode and i'll tell you more about what's coming up with aotg.com right after the interview now i'd also like to talk to you about there's a scene uh where it's cut exactly to two minutes and ten guys are murdered um, oh, in yeah, the prison. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you could give me insight into how you approach this scene because it's exactly two minutes to the stopwatch that he's. Yeah, it's actually it's not two minutes anymore. I think it's just like one fifty-five or something like that. But that's because we got a different piece of music, and that's the way it worked out. This is one where I did go off book from, and this is this is one that the writer uh, who wrote is a friend of mine, Moira Wally Beckett, who just won an Emmy award. You know, she's actually the only. Breaking Bad writer to win an Emmy, an individual Emmy award for writing. You're she's, kidding me. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's the only one. Um, I'm very proud of her too. It's, it's, she's she's really really talented. She got her own show. See, I'm plugging her on your show. She got her own show coming out on Stars about uh, ballet, uh, a ballet company in New York City. Um, anyway, she um, she wrote that that episode. It was uh, gliding over all, and originally in in the in that one. It was only supposed to be nine guys murdered. There was the tenth guy who the tenth guy is the lawyer, if I remember correctly, and he actually wasn't supposed to be part of that montage. <laughs> um, he was supposed to be murdered, but he wasn't supposed to be part of the montage. And what happened was, I'm going to give credit where credit is due here because, and I always actually do when I talk about this story. Uh, usually, on Breaking Bad, like after the first season, the first season they didn't. But in starting in the second season, I believe it probably started on the episode where they were stuck in the desert. Remember when they got stuck in the desert cooking? I think starting around that episode, they they started to if they realized they had a montage, they started to kind of pre-clear uh, music. Like they started to think about the music that they wanted for a specific montage before they actually started shooting. 
that's unusual. I mean, I've never found, even as an assistant, I was an assistant for an unbearably long time. So I kind of, I feel like I have good experience saying this is most of the time they don't um, do that. You know, a lot of times, you know, you'll get something material on any show that, you know, needs to be a montage and they'll, you'll start cutting with one piece of music and it'll, you know, go through a bunch of changes and you'll have other pieces of music that come in. And, you know, that's not unusual. It, it's not very difficult either. I mean, usually there's minor changes that you have to make to your cut, but most people, most people are always amazed to see, um, especially in the editing room, uh, when they come in and stuff that when you swap piece of music, even with the same cutting, a lot of it still ends up on the beats and that kind of thing. It's like it just, it's it's one thing that editors kind of know, you know. But but it's sort of like a magic trick. People are like, oh my god, that like works perfectly. It's like it's that's not it. It just does that. For instance, the pilot the pilot music on that that drug making montage changed at least I don't know seven or eight times before they'd settled on that one and it was sold with a different piece of music when they sold it you know when amc you know finally you know when they finally delivered the uh, the final cut of the pilot to amc for them to uh, make a decision on buying the show it had a whole different piece of music in it and then it turned out that they wanted to use something else in the interim so so anyway the reason that i'm mentioning that is because in that episode the gliding overall i mean the uh, the crystal blue persuasion music was was already chosen, cleared, all of that. They knew they were going to do that montage to Crystal Blue Persuasion. But the jail was not. It actually had, they had not discussed it at all. So, which was, like I said, very unusual. And I was like, okay. So I got on the phone with my friend Thomas Golovich, who is our music supervisor. And I called him up and I said, hey, you know, had, did they call you did they talk about this thing that they, we've got to do with this jail and he goes no you know they they didn't they were you know really dealing with crystal blue persuasion the whole time and i was like well we got to find something <laughs> and so and so he sent me a couple of i mean he sent me probably like 15 or 16 different songs i mean he he's a i call him lovingly call him a music nerd he really is he's he's more knowledgeable about music than i've ever seen anybody i mean i it's just mind-boggling how how analytical he is about music and how uh, talented he is in choosing music and finding music and so he sent me a bunch of different stuff some of it was instrumental some of it was uh and it was all different kinds of genres and i remember picking something that was sort of you know it sort of had a tension beat to it or something but i knew that it would all be changed it was just that kind of thing a lot of times you want something to cut with and so you just you want to pick something so I remember picking something. Okay, sorry, there's a fire truck. <laughs> Not, a Not a problem. Remember there was a, so I, ch I chose a piece of music and it was like, what he and I discussed was he said, because we talked about, uh, we talked a little bit about um, the movie Goodfellas and about how it would be so cool to not do what, you expect on Goodfellas when they used Layla to show all those dead people after Robert De Niro had killed them all after, you know, he had taken the Lufthansa um, heist and he wanted all those people dead. Um, and so they played Layla, which is like not your normal killing music, you know? And so, and so he said, you know, wouldn't it be cool to, to kind of, and I said, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for it. I want, I want anything that, you know, doesn't sound like what, 
you would think. I always want to be, you know, surprising, especially if it works. And we've done it many, many times on this show where it doesn't. And so, um, so he got together a bunch of stuff, and I was listening to it, trying different things. And then he said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if all those deaths really happened at two minutes by the clock? And I'm like, that's so cool. I didn't even think of that because it wasn't written that way. And, and I'm like, yeah, that is so cool. I said, you know what? I'm going to try that. I said, that, but it's his idea. It was, it was absolutely his idea. And I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can make that happen, you know. And so to do that, I had to kill the lawyer within that montage. So basically, originally the script was like the lawyer is on the phone. He's talking to his wife. He's got a bunch of dialogue. It's not dialogue that, that we um, cut out and gives you more of the story than you're already going to get. It's just that he's talking to his wife and saying, no, no, honey, you know, don't cry, don't cry. Please tell the kids I love them, that kind of thing. We start the scene, and Walt is in his living room, you know, nobody else is home, and he looks out the window, and he looks at his watch, and then he clicks that that cool-ass $4,000 watch. He clicks that uh, that watch uh, over onto stopwatch, and and at that point, I start that scene with the lawyer. And so I was going to have to lose, you know, I was going to have to bury a little bit of that dialogue in the music. I was okay with that. And then we have him killed. And then we go on to all the other killings. And that was the only way that I was going to make it for two minutes. Because if I had not done that, it wouldn't have hit two minutes. And so that was basically a, a, another instance where I went off book. But I said, I think that this is worth it, and take a look, you know, and got it down to, I believe, you know, got it down to where it would happen in two minutes, but then it, at producer's cut, we decided to change the music. Vince heard, he was listening to the, I think, the 40 station on satellite radio or something, and heard this Nat King Cole version of, uh, God, I don't remember the song. But yeah, Vince heard that song on the way to work, and he said, you know... Let's let's see if we can let's see if that'll work. And we pulled it down, I think, off of iTunes and and tried it in the room. And I loved it. You know, it it made absolutely no sense for this thing, but it made all the sense in the world. It was great. And so I think with a re-edit of that song, I think it's back down to like maybe 155 or 157, something like that. It's not quite two minutes anymore. But you know, that was another thing where we we definitely went off book. And you know, in like I said, there was no way that I would go to the writer at that point because this is the director's – at this point, it's me selling it to the director. The director was Michelle McLaren. She loved it. I don't think much got changed. Few people, a few people died in different order in her cut than mine, but uh, pretty much everything stayed the same, and then that music was changed. And then I can't even remember what Moira's – thought about it was but I don't remember it being you know I don't remember her being upset or anything I think that she was all for it one of my last questions about Breaking Bad for you is uh, what made you start Breaking Bad Insider the podcast Breaking Bad was edited the pilot was edited in and I believe we started in March and ended in April of 2007 um, and then we started the, sh the show got picked up I believe in June, late June of that, of 2007, and we started working on, uh, I, that was my, I would basically ask for the editing job um, uh, before we delivered the pilot. So it was still in April that I asked for the editing job and was basically granted the editing job. If the show got picked up, I was going to be the second editor on the show. And so we started working on the show in September 
of 2007. And waiting for the show to get picked back up for a second season was like endless. In fact, God, that didn't happen, I think, until the beginning maybe the middle of July of 2008. Since I was working with Lynn Willingham um, on, as, a, as an assistant on the pilot of Breaking Bad and then as, as an editor we were working together on the series, she then got a job to, for over the summer in 2008 to do an anthology sh- series for NBC called Fear Itself. And she said, hey, do you want to, you know, while, while we're waiting to see about the pickup, do you want to go back and be an assistant? Which is a, a normal kind of thing that happens all the time. It's harder to get your second job from what I understand, and on an, your second editing job is the tougher one to get. Um, so I was like, hey, you know what? I, I don't mind being an assistant again and working with Lynn, which was a kick. And, you know, we got along swimmingly. We had been working together now for three years. And I knew whatever she was going to do, I was going to get to cut. And it also meant that I wasn't going to have to look for a job. So, so I went back to being an assistant. And at that point, um, I believe it was probably the third season of Lost, like that was ending. I think it was the third or fourth season of Lost. And by that point, none of my friends were, were watching Lost anymore. And I, and I remember, like, I want to say that that was the season that they called the, the season ender the snake in the mailbox um, ep- uh, episode. I'm not really sure, but I believe it was the flashback, the, the flash forward episode where they were off the island and we, we have to go back, right? So anyway, um, I remember watching that and not having anybody to talk with about it so I was like you know at work as an I was working as an assistant that summer and I was doing a lot of reading on my on my computer like just trying to find blogs or anything that was related to Lost and you know trying to understand that finale and one of the articles that I read was about podcast and I was like well, I'd sort of heard the word but I was like ah oh, it's just some kind of niche thing that you know that nobody's doing. so then um they said oh there's some great lost podcasts around and you know they, they this one article gave a couple of um uh like you know pitched a couple people's and so I started you know I start I sort of like okay, here's how to find podcasts. You know what I mean? It's like the early days. And here's how to find them. And so I would kind of get them. And I I was a big listener of talk radio at the time. And I was like, well, this is just a talk radio show. That's all it is. But I realized that now that that a lot of people were doing them. And I also realized that um, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse were doing their own. You know, some they, they would do it, you know, sporadically. And they would do it for about 20 minutes or so and they would and they would like say okay we're going to take all your questions and they would never answer anything and um you know but i love the fact that that people it was like kind of getting people talking about the shows and i and and a little bit of research on my you know as i was doing it was like wow there's other shows i think actually at the time like Maybe the publicity department at ABC was helping these guys do this stuff. They, you know, the publicity departments or marketing departments at networks were realizing that this is great content and that people were, you know, voracious for this kind of stuff. So, like, I knew that I kind of had a couple friends that were working on um, uh, Grey's Anatomy, and I knew that the, the two women executive producers were doing one at Grey's. I didn't really listen to it, but I knew they were doing one. Um, at the time, I think Mark Cherry was doing one for uh, Desperate Housewives. 
And I'm like, okay, you know what? This is a thing. And Carlton and, and Damon were doing one. And I'm like, hey, this is kind of a thing. And so I went to Vince Gilligan and I said, we should do a podcast. Nobody was doing one. Actually, I did. I, I take it back. There were two, there were three guys down in Alabama. If you did an iTunes search, there were three guys down in Alabama that were doing this obscure Breaking Bad podcast. It sounded like they were sitting in their kitchen, you know, just talking about the show. And I was like, wow, there's already a podcast about our show. Nobody is watching our show, but there's already a podcast. And so I was like, you know, Vince, we should do this. You know, and I told him that all these other showrunners were doing it. And he's like, well, I don't really know what it is. And I don't know, you know, how am I going to talk for an hour? And how am I going to, you know, and, and, uh, and I said, don't worry, don't worry. We'll just, I'll ask you questions and it won't be that big of a deal. You know, we'll just get together. You know, we'll just put some mics in my editing room and we'll just, you know, talk about an episode of the show. Right. And, and it was funny because I kept talking to him about it and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm busy editing. I mean, I'm busy like writing right now, but I'm but later, later, later. So one day, and I don't remember what episode it was, but it was, I was editing with him in my room and we broke for lunch. And right after lunch, I set up two mics in my room and I said, Hey, let's just do this right quick. 20 minutes, whatever. We'll just do this right quick. And he and I got in there and we talked about the show. And after that, he was so hooked. He was like, Oh my God, we should do this for all of them. We can get the writers involved. We can get all the actors involved. We can do the, hey, this would be so cool. And he just, he was hooked. He loved them, loved them. And, you know, I never expected them to be that big. Like, I never expected them to be definitely not as in-depth as they ended up being. But I definitely didn't expect them to be, like, like a lot of people. Like, I, I thought it would be, like, me and him and, like, one person or something. And maybe, like, a one-off, like, 30 minutes or something. And they became this thing where, like, first of all, I mean, for a while there, like, a couple of seasons, it just got to be – I hated it. It got to be too big, you know, because it was hard. I would get I, I would get slammed on, I'm, I'm on, on iTunes because, you know, uh, uh, it, it was like the sound quality was tor- horrible, and it was, like, very, very difficult. You know, when you've got two people in front of a mic, that's okay. But when you have five people sharing mics and people are like, we're not at a table, we're basically sitting on sofas, people need to lean up mics, it's crazy. And and I couldn't regulate it. And you know what? We were just, we had a mixing board and we were throwing uh, sound into my Avid. It was very haphazard. We weren't a high rent, you know, situation at all. And... um you know, and, and, and so you know, I never expected it to be that. I'm not a sound engineer. And um, and so I never expect. but boy, did people love doing them. I mean, nobody got paid. Every, every single one of them was on people's free time. Many of them were done on Saturdays. Um, and a lot of times I tried to be very, very transparent with them. I would say, hey, so this is a Saturday and we're, you know, uh, we're halfway in, you know, through with our season, you know, or we'd say, you know, number, you know, this one airs tonight, but we're going to do the one, you know, that airs three weeks from now. And, you know, because people would ask me all the time, you know, they, they'd be like, how come you didn't talk about the music on that podcast? The music was so great. And I'm like, we didn't have the music for that episode when we did that podcast it wasn't done yet we hadn't heard it you know stuff like that it's like you know but um 
you know, that's kind of how I got the idea. And then, like I said, everybody just really wanted to do them. They, they loved doing them. And it, people, like, also got mad, like, fans got mad that we would cut them off after an hour. But they didn't understand that we were there on a Saturday from, like, 9 a.m. to, like, 4 p.m. Nobody's getting paid, like I said. Everybody's there. And the thing is, is we're scheduled to do, like, five podcasts that day. So we got to be regimented. You know what I mean? Got to, like cut it off after because we've got like people would be outside that were scheduled to be on the next one and we tried to like make it so we sounded like we weren't doing we i mean you know we we caught to it we said we're doing a bunch of these today but we kind of tried to sound like they were it wasn't like a like a form letter like we we're trying to make it so you know i think there was one where we sort of got in trouble where i think jesse i mean uh, um excuse me aaron paul i think he was late but we tried to play it off that he was early or something it was so funny we went back like re-edited and made it so he was always there or something it was like crazy i can't even remember but um but yeah it was like we wanted it to be a special thing for fans and we wanted you know, everybody to be excited about it just like we were and stuff. But it wasn't a it wasn't a, a high rent situation at all. It was very, very low rent. And, you know, I I just got tired of trying to explain away our faults you know Vince would kind of just tell me he's like ignore that he goes don't even don't even go up there and read that stuff stop stop doing it. I I finally did I just said you know it doesn't you know people want to criticize let them you know haters are going to hate so you know but it's like yes they were all free the and I'm just so proud of them because I know that Vince has done a lot of interviews you know a shit ton of interviews um and I feel like we probably got him at his very most honest. I don't think there's any other showrunner that would dare to give to give out publicly the information that he gave out. Um, we I would learn something new every single time I did it, you know. Um, and I just I, I I love the fact that they're available. They're still available, and it's like six, it's over sixty hours of of uh, insider. Um, information and I love the fact that that he basically opened up something that's very sacred in television and most people will never ever ever understand how and see how these things run is the writer's room even people that work on shows are not allowed into that kind of sanctum and um and and on our podcast you know they're very very uh you know transparent about their process and I love the fact that they say, no, we didn't have it all planned. I don't think – I tell Vince all the time, I said, I don't think people believe you because you were just so good at it. You know, I, I it's funny because I, I have to believe them because when I talked to the editors of Arrested Development, like the original series, I was like, wow, that was really well planned out. And they're like, it wasn't. It was all in his head and he just figured it out as he went. And You know, what, so one thing I will say also about that is I loved bringing the writer's room – like bringing like uh, understanding of the writers' room to sort of the public and and also to people who really study you know film students or something like that, because you know like I said most people don't know anything about it right and writers' rooms are all different. I mean, even now like as I've worked on other shows and talked to other showrunners, I always ask them what is your writers' room process. I'm just curious. I write. I'm a writer. And so I'm very curious about their writer's room process. But honestly, it kind of all went back to Lost as well for me because I was like, look, I know a lot about television. I may not know a lot about writer's rooms, but I 
absolutely do not believe that these guys had these things planned out. You know, that you get that things come up serendipitously or you'll have made a really good choice early on and you can use that to your advantage later as a writer. That's what I'm saying. And so I'm like, look, you know, the more I found out, the more I understood our writer's room, the more definitely the more I respected what those guys were doing on Lost. I was a big Lost fan. I'm a huge Damon Lindelof fan. Damon, if you're listening, you know, I'm so sorry that I couldn't come work for you on The Leftovers, but I was already committed. He knows. He knows this. <laughs> but but um, what I will say is that I, and I'm not crazy about the finale at all. I'm not a finale liker on that show, but I respect them. I respect them so much. And there's very few shows, I think, that could that can do um, the things that they did. The X-Files writers as well. Those guys, I mean, they were creating new things. It's not like they were just, this was family life that they were just kind of, you know, giving us different, you know, aspects of, you know, like the Brady Bunch or something. These guys were creating new stuff, new mythology, you know, every week for 22 episodes a, a year. That's crazy. That's like unbelievably difficult. Um, and so I, you know, I had a lot of respect for them. And that's what, one of the reasons why I wanted to keep doing the podcast and also just to understand you know it's like even in the last podcasts that vince did it was like um amazing uh that he gave us like i think i think he gave that was the one where he gave us like um a couple of story ideas that he had had that never materialized yeah there <laughs> or, were some crazy ones in there yeah or or things that he like he had pitched he had pitched to AMC or yeah. Cause he had done a pitch out meeting at the end with AMC that Skylar was going to kill herself. And, and, then, <laughs> and that never happened. And, you know, those are things that, you know, when would you find that out? And I'm just glad that he felt, you know, safe enough, you know, with us just to chat. And you know what I was, I, I, I hate to say this, but cause it, it, I haven't done this in a long time, but for some reason I was thinking about those podcasts, um, about a week ago and I decided to call one up and I was listening to it on the way to work. Now I haven't done this in a long time. So, you know, don't, don't think that I sit here and listen to my own podcast, <laughs> but for some reason I just was like, you know, I'd really like to hear that one where, where, uh, where we had, Oh, you know why? Because, because I had just seen these two women at an Emmy party. Um, and it was Betsy Brandt and Anna Gunn. And it was one of the ones where they were talking about uh, the big slap and the argument over the baby when uh, when Skylar has to finally tell um, her sister that, you know, I mean, basically, um, you know, Marie confronts Skylar and, and then she slaps her. And I remember in that podcast that those, those, uh, those women were actually with us. They had never been on a podcast together. And um, they started crying in the room just because it was became so emotional. It was like they're both crying just because they're like, you know, this was one of the best experiences they've ever had. And it was all ending. At that point, they were done shooting. So they had, you know, you know, but we were still working. And it was just so incredible and emotional. And it was like, it was just, it was one of the coolest things. And, you know, we, you know, I, I don't know where else you would get that. And we provided it for free, you know, in our podcast. So I'm, I'm just really proud of them. Do you think you'll do one for uh, Better Call Saul? I think that our fans would probably mutiny if we did not do it. I was just talking to Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold about a couple hours ago and saying, so, podcast. And they're like, yeah. So I think the plan is to do them. We haven't started yet, though. So... 
I'm just stopping the interview here for a second, guys, so that we can uh, bring you a message from our sponsor, which is Screenlight.tv. Uh, make sure to check them out, and here's their message. Screenlight.tv is a video review and approval service for the post-production industry. Post-production teams can now easily share videos and production files with clients worldwide. Utilize their project management and team collaboration tools that include asset management, frame-accurate video feedback, proactive security, and more, all at a price that won't break your production's budget. Use the video review and approval service trusted by post-professionals throughout the world. Screenlight.tv Screenlight.tv. Upload anything, get feedback, and finish projects faster. Well, I have one last question that I ask everyone I, I interview, and that's, uh, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Oh, I thought it was going to be, what's my favorite curse word? Because <laughs> I think an actor studio. Yeah. Um, my favorite guilty pleasure film? I don't know if I have Or television one. show. Guilty I don't think I have one of those. Really? There's not a show that... That you're like, oh, I don't want people to know I watch this. And... Oh, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't. I'm not. I'm not opposed to like letting people know, you know, what I watch. Um, I don't think I have one. I don't think I have anything that I'm really embarrassed about. But I will say, I'm not embarrassed. But there's, <laughs> this is gonna, this is crazy, crazy. Um, and I don't know. I don't remember the show, so I guess I shouldn't mention that. I don't remember the name of it, so I shouldn't mention. Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have like a, I don't think I have a, any one of those. I'll usually own pretty much everything, you know what I mean? And I, I don't care. The the show is called Kim of Queens, and it's it's, it's it it is kind of embarrassing. But this woman is so awesome. It, it's it's about this woman who runs a beauty pageant like coaching kind of business in Georgia. But she is so freaking cool. She is just incredibly strong woman who doesn't take any bullshit <laughs> and I just get a kick out of watching her and she's very southern and she's just she's just I can't even I can't even describe she's just freaking cool um and it's like the whole opening of her show is like she's like you know I I was one of the youngest winners of Miss Georgia you know in history and, you know, and I was, you know, definitely an ugly duckling. And then this, you know, she shows like a picture of some cute little or some girl, you know, in her teen, you know, who was a teenager. She goes, and that, that is not me. This is me. And it's, she was not an attractive kid at all. And I was like, wow, there's, you know, she's just so full of energy and, and so, and she just doesn't take any bullshit at all. And, um, yeah, it's a ridiculous, um, it's a, it's, a, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful of anyone, you know, who wants to do this. It's just, it's not my thing. I'm not really into pageants or beauty or, um, or anything like, uh, you know, but, the, and this is like, kind of like stage moms, stage moms kind of like, you know, running their daughters through pageants. But the woman, her name is Kim Gravel. And the woman who runs this thing is, she is she is a trip and a half, and I absolutely love watching her. So that is my embarrassing moment. But for the most part, I, I, I don't think I'm embarrassed about anything. You know, one of my favorite movies is *L.A. Confidential* and and *The Insider*. I think, um, and TV shows I like are you know I don't know I like *Masters of Sex* right now and. Um, I love, love, love Hannibal. I, I think that's really, really incredible. And um, 
uh, I love, I'm not a Simpsons fan, sorry, but I really loved um, uh, King of the Hill. I think that's one of my faves. And Such a great dry sense of humor in that show. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sorry to to uh to say that i don't really have like anything real embarrassing necessarily except for that that's pretty embarrassing but i you know i hate to be like that because you know what this that's this is what some people really like you know that's their lives and so i i shouldn't really say that you know i'm embarrassed about it because then it would it would kind of notate that uh something like that you should be embarrassed about and i'm like look i respect those people that's what they like to do you know they they uh they like pageants and and it, you know you sh i don't think it's ever cool to uh di you know be disrespectful of what you know someone's hobby or someone's love is you know what they like um so i guess it's sort of embarrassing but you know i don't tend to watch a lot of reality like that but you know but i i really i love the fact that this woman is is so incredibly strong i think she's really really great and so i watch it because of that great well thank you very much for letting me interview no problem so that was the final part of my interview with Kelly. Next week, we're going to have our next episode of Ideas. And so you can check that out. It's going to be the Autochrome, Foucault, and Color Correction. And we also should have out by then uh, the next issue of The Assembly. And if you haven't seen the first Assembly, go to aotg.com assembly and check it out. It's all information from around the world that we've gathered from various writers in various countries, as well as worked with some of the top associations in the world, uh, the American Cinema Editors, the Canadian Cinema Editors, to get uh, unique articles specific to uh, editing. So make sure to check that out, aotg.com assembly. Uh, with that said, I want to thank Kelly Dixon for allowing me to interview her. I'd also like to thank, of course, my producer, Lauren Woodcock, uh, the American Cinema Editors, and, of course, Andre for cutting this episode. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.